SAFM 104-107 Nationwide The Viewpoint Weekdays 8-10pm on SAFM On the viewpoint. Indeed, 2105 here on SFM Viewpoint. The time is now for us to continue the conversation with Ms. Natasha Marks, who is the project manager at Lingbron, of course, talking about bringing technology to schools. This following the Freedom Park Secondary School and Moses Marin Secondary School being the latest additions to Lingbron's LES, that's the Lingbron e-learning system, in partnership with the Gauteng Department of Education, focusing on improving maths and science marks for grade 11 and 12 learners. Natasha, you are back on the line, and I just want to ask this question because here's one of those statistics that we really lament and give us a sense promptly as to how far behind, if you like, some schools are. Only 17% of Eastern Cape schools have access to the Internet. Put differently, 83% of Eastern Cape schools do not have access to the Internet. That's eight children out of ten in school don't have in any way a relationship with technology. The Internet cannot access the kind of information that the Internet can give you as quickly as it does. This must surely be a tragedy because this doesn't allow us to compete. This doesn't allow us to effectively formulate a 4IR that's going to allow us, certainly on present facts, that's going to allow us to take and stake our claim in the world. Um, can you hear me, Sangeza? Yes, 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 indeed. Okay, wonderful. Sangeza, yes, there is certainly schools that don't have internet access currently. Um, what we are doing, we're using LTE routers that we put into the schools, and that is one of the first things that we do when they want to include certain schools, we make sure that there is internet access, that we will be able to put in a router. So up until now, we haven't got any schools that we couldn't help. And uh, we also have two schools in Eastern Cape included. So um, definitely there is still work um, to do on that, but um, we're using the LTE routers very, very successfully. It doesn't sound like for the best part that you need any resources from government, but I would imagine still the relationship has to be there, if not for anything else, at least from a trust perspective and for them to give you the latitude to really do what you are experts in. But for the purposes of the relationship, what is the critical ingredient that binds you to the Gauteng Department of Education and all the education departments of Bulukwane, Gauteng and the Free State Province as well as the Eastern Cape Provinces for the purposes of making sure that this initiative works and can grow because you want to double your schools by 2021. You're currently on eight and you want to be on 16 in two years from now. Okay. Um, what I also wanted to add is that the project is not only the interactive lessons that we are sharing. We're also sharing very high-quality content that the teachers are actually using on a day-to-day basis. And because we're using CAPS that is nationwide, it mm-hmm. means that we, we go in with the departments. We don't do it on our own. We go with the blessing of each department because at the end of the day, it's about each learner in South Africa. And it's not about the Luchtbron e-learning project, but what we can bring to the learners of South Africa. So um, the content is definitely something that they are using and that also helps to get on standard, all the, the same standard in all the provinces. 
Um, also, we have the ebook available um, that the learners can download on their phone from next year on, um, that they will have access also to resources at home if they have a phone or a tablet. And that will also help a lot because um, when they're away from school, it means they don't have all the resources. What mm-hmm. we experience in a lot of these schools is that, uh, you know, they even have a problem with paper. Uh, the resources is not there, and, and we want to supply it on any way possible. Um, then also we have the training part, um, and that that's really something that we stand on, that there used to be a lot of projects, and after a year you see that nothing is left. Uh, what makes our project work is that we're giving training, and, and as you said, like in the Eastern Cape, some of these teachers uh, still work on cho- the chalkboards. They've never experienced something on, on technology. So for us, it's very important to give proper training to these teachers to make sure that they also have something behind their name. And at the end of the day, that they feel that they are competent. So uh, training and ongoing training in the project is definitely something uh, that works very well for us. And, and, and last- at the end of yeah, yeah, at the end of the day. And, and at the end of the day, it's not about only the learners, but also to make sure that you develop the teacher. Because if the teachers get more competent, it means that you will also see the success in that school. Absolutely. Quick question in 30 seconds, please. Is the yes. ownership ever going to reside with the school or with the government or will Lechbron in this particular instance always be leading this LES system? In other words, the transfer of skills, the transfer of knowledge, does it move from Lechbron to the school or to the department or not? It, um, Lechbron has the intellectual property of this project. So at the end of the day, I think Lechbron will definitely we work with the department and we need corporate companies. Um, currently, we sustain our project through uh, corporate companies that's actually giving funding. And we, uh, we don't call them sponsors. We call them partners in education because at the end of the day, we're sharing the same passion and we want to see the difference in South Africa. So, yes, awesome. it is the intellectual pro- property of Lichtbron, and uh, but we want to be in the whole of South Africa and we hope to be in all the provinces soon. Most certainly. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Ms. Natasha Marks, Project Manager at Lichpron, talking to us about the e-learning system that they have introduced together with the Gauteng Department of Education, together with the Limpopo, Eastern Cape, and Free State Departments in piloting in eight schools, hopefully 16 by 2021. Have a good evening. Need a little afternoon pick-me-up? Then join Palessa Tembe and me, Jeannie D, on Afternoon Express. Discover what's trending as we meet the people and engage the issues that have captured Mzanzi's attention. Plus, the Afternoon Express kitchen explores flavors that'll excite your taste buds. It's delicious, it's insightful, it's fun and colorful. It's Afternoon Express, weekdays at 5 p.m. on SABC3. The city of Good Hope, Cape Town, will once again draw the attention of thousands. As runners gather for the Sunlam Cape Town City Marathon, Africa's only IAAF gold label status marathon. Athletes will experience Africa's most visited and most celebrated city in a spectacular route from Beach Road in Seapoint to the finish line at the Cape Town Stadium. Catch this global city race on Sunday, 15 September, live on SABC2 at 6.30 a.m. And live crossings on your favorite SABC radio stations. The Sanglam Cape Town City Marathon, brought to you by SABC Sports, for the love of the game. 
The Department of Basic Education, in partnership with SABC Education, are celebrating literacy this month by hosting the annual National Spelling BE competition on the 21st of September 2019. The National Spelling Bee is aimed at improving learners' performance in languages, especially maths, I mean, especially English. This year, 27 spellers from grade 4 to 6 across the nine provinces will battle it out to be a top 2019 national speller in the competition. SABC Education, enriching minds, enriching lives. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. As promised earlier this evening that we would continue the conversation of talking business. And right now we are in conversation with Ms. Nam Tlamniki Mangaliso, who's a director at African Monitor. We're talking about doing business in a nation that is currently in turmoil. African Monitor, an independent analyst for monitoring developing commitments, delivery and impact on the grassroots, represented by Executive Director Ms. Namtlamnigi Mangaliso, will lead discussions on innovation for sustainable development goals, SDGs. While many of Africa's leaders at World Economic Forum are grappling with Africa's current opportunities and the fourth industrial revolution, the African Monitor is asking, how can we discuss ease of doing business in a nation that is in turmoil, that is South Africa? Is it possible to talk about artificial intelligence and drone economies spending billions on research and testing, but yet fail to put resources aside to help the women of South Africa to be safe? Where in our country do our priorities lie? Together in this conversation, I think it's important in the context of what we were talking about earlier on, I have decided to request the presence and contributions further of the first guest from tonight, Mr. Debucho Mafudi, who is the CEO of the TM Group. Now, let's start by talking about South Africa's outlook in doing business. Do we want to be doing business with ourselves? Are all the indicators necessary out there that we are judged against, against the rest of the world? And there are 11 key critical indicators. I'll go through them in a minute. But generally, is South Africa a space where we can do business? Labor market regulation, dealing with construction permits, getting electricity, registering property, getting credit, protecting minority investors, trading across borders, paying taxes, enforcing contracts, resolving insolvency, starting a business. Those are the 11 indicators that the World Bank every year marks, every nation, and ranks them called doing business. And the indicator for 2019 that ranks South Africa as ease of doing business puts us at number 82 out of 190 countries. That's not a good mark. That's not a good mark. Is Ms. Namtlamniki Mangaliso there? Good evening, Sisi. Are you there? Good evening, buddy. I am all here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for your time. Ease of doing business in South Africa. We rank very poorly, very lowly. In fact, our percentage score, sitting at number 82 out of 190 countries, sits us at just over 66%. 66,05. 2019, not good. Not good. No, not good. And um, and luckily, I'm a grassroots economist. That's what I would call myself. And so my criteria for ease of doing business is not even what the criteria of global institutions um, would normally be. So when I think about ease of doing business, I think about is the small entrepreneur that's starting something that's innovative on the ground in the township, in the rural areas. Can they work? 
can they do what they need to do? Do they have the environment, the support systems, and the technology access that they need to be able to work? And if we were to rank ourselves according to that, I would say that we're even doing worse than um, we would be ranked with these sort of standardized tests. Now, what's interesting, linking that with the World Economic Forum, is that one Mm. of the things we are parading here is the fact that South Africa is open for business and both our trade ministers, our president and so on, are talking to investors. And their whole concept of productive growth is the idea of actually trying to attract foreign direct investors into our economy. And as far as I'm concerned, I think that we should actually be starting to think about how do we become productive as a people? Because historically, we know that economies are not grown by, by foreign corporations. They're grown by small to medium businesses. Are we doing enough to actually make sure that those businesses can grow from the ground up, that we have the capability to produce new goods, new products, new technologies, and so on? And we're not even, we haven't even started real conversations around that. I've got on the line together, in fact, I've got in studio here who will be on the line to you is Mr. Debucho Mafodi, who was part of the conversation earlier on. And he's, well, I wouldn't say he's a budding entrepreneur. He's an established entrepreneur. In fact, in the true sense, he's a multinational. He's got operations in the UK, the US, Zambia, as well as Nigeria, and is looking to obviously enter into the Kenyan market, as well, of course, his home base here in South Africa. I'm just going to allow him to ask you a couple of questions so that you can truly engage each other. So please don't be surprised when you get Debucho asking a question and it's not me. But for instance, just to sort of undergird this discussion, I do want us to focus on grassroots the the, the grassroots economy because as you correctly said this is where the true experience this is where the Mm -hmm. true transformation takes place because for the most part many persons operating in that space the informal market if you like that's where many of us come from yeah absolutely it's all yours Okay, I think I think I think what what I would want to 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 ask is um, obviously as as um, an independent organization that monitors um, right now you've seen from an issue of transformation that that um, that we've been speaking about earlier um, we found that um, some of these companies they do not want um, you know to be audited or to have an independent um, you know body that actually looks at some of the value that they trying to be bringing on to, to small business. So I don't know that on your side, ma'am, um, what do you think that corporate um, South Africa would do differently? Because right now, obviously, um, this transformation issue that we've mainly been discussing, it has more become like a tick box exercise other than something that is really meant um, to be doing a difference within the grassroots of entrepreneurship within the township like you've mentioned. First of all, lovely to meet you. I know, but you—I know you by reputation. We've never met. Um, hey, and, hey! I'm an avid follower on Twitter hey, hey. of yours and your work. So lovely to meet you. No, I nice came you. out of an evening World Economic Forum session, so I wasn't privy to your previous um, discussions. But um, so African Monitor, just by background, basically cares about the extent to which economies are responsive to the poorest of the poor in our continent. We also care very much about the extent to which governments actually meet their commitments to their people using taxpayers' money. Mm-hmm. And so for us, creating an, an enabling environment to do business is less about, I, I, I think corporations are important, 
but we think that it's it's much much more important to make sure that you've got inclusive systems uh, that allow people to participate effectively in the economy so when you are asking the question around what do we do with the absence of transformation at the corporate level um, in South Africa. And I think that we have every right, not just as government, but actually as South African citizens, to be holding those corporations accountable. One of the, let me make a very quick example. One of the things yes. I've been saying at WEF just now is the tech companies, the global tech companies that are coming here, um, Facebook, for instance, who three years ago said their next one billion consumers are going to come from Africa. Mm-hmm. We, they, we are not doing them a favor and we're not being illegitimate by asking these tough questions because they make billions of dollars out of our data, out of our consumption uh, patterns, etc., etc. Because we are consumers, we, we are um Basically, we are the reason why they, they generate revenue, as it were. And I think that as a nation, we need to start um, twisting or turning the, 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 the pin a little bit to start. This week, Kim and Pashi introduce an innovative new food enterprise. Dr. Deepa Parbu discusses the latest anti-aging developments. Chef Dion Benkades cooks from the heart. At the movies goes behind the scenes of Salman Khan's Pirate. And we discover why Vigaj and JJ Mathura are in therapy. Share in the Indian experience at Mela on Sunday at 5.30pm on SABC3. The stage is yours. They're going to find us, you know? Stop exaggerating. We are going to have to pay additional penalties every month. And that's not good for our wallet, hey? Relax. How can I? When you haven't paid your TV license. It's not rocket science. Duh. All you have to do is visit tvlic.co.za and pay your TV license. Then I wouldn't be bothering you like this at all. Okay, okay. Do you promise to leave me alone if I pay my TV license? Yes. I'm your conscience trying to get you to do the right thing. Want to keep that voice in your head quiet? Then pay your TV license online, anywhere, anytime. It's easy, super fast, and your conscience will thank you. Be kind to yourself. Hashtag made possible by you. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. I'm so sorry about that. This is the new system that we're all trying to sort of get our heads around. I'm so sorry for cutting you mid-sentence. You, 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 do you want to just carry on and just finish that point? I'm so sorry for disturbing you the way it did. Namtla? Okay, it seems like we have lost this Namtla Mangaliso, who, Nige Mangaliso, who was just giving us a background as to what they do as African monitor, and specifically referring to the conversations that are taking place at the World Economic Forum and responding to, rather, what it is that corporates can do to foster the kind of change, meaningful change that can happen at grassroots level, on the ground. That's the question that was asked by my, let me say, colleague now, because we are co-presenting this conversation, and that is Mr. Debo Homafudi, who's actually in studio with me, who's also the group CEO of 
FTM group. The answer that Usisi was giving is obviously just a systemic um, background and overview in terms of what is required. But I suppose the true question, and this is what you really wanted, and I'm going to ask you to answer that very question. Why is it that the policy, the vision, the dreams do not translate into the realities that are obviously there on demand? I mean, Anybody can come up with the kinds of policies now, especially in the spaces of such chaos. That what needs, or rather what is needed, is a strong sense of leadership and political will to deliver on basic core issues, to offer people these meaningful changes that the conditions that pertain are crying out for. You are in that space. What is it that if government asks you, Debucho, what do you want from us? We will do it and we will do it now. What would you say are the top three priority or top three demands you would want so that you can be at grassroots level a meaningful change agent? So the first, um, you know, um, from the three demands, I think the first demand it would be the demand of flexibility of policy. Um, right now, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm very much um, passionate about um, the issue of policy, because right now it's policy that influences um, governments um, to actually influence industry. So you find some of these boxes um, that you find corporates are ticking, um, they become more like a tick box exercise other than um, an agenda issue that is meant to actually make a difference. Uh, within the community. That's why right now you find half of the time certain people would want to influence policy so that at least certain businesses or certain industries could actually change. That is the first one. The two, access to capital. Access to capital is a big issue in our country. It's a big issue within the country. Do you know the amount of trouble you go into in South Africa to raise a simple mere 50,000 rands or 100,000 compared to the trouble that you go through when it comes to other countries in terms of raising 10 million? US dollars, 20 million or whatsoever. So you will find that sometimes we realize that um, it's not something that we've gotten accustomed to, to actually loosen up um, some of the credit regulation. You find the financial institution would blame the credit regulator and the credit regulator would blame industry. Um, la- um, last year sometime we've had an opportunity of hosting an event where I brought both in the uh, industry, um, the regulator and government under one roof to actually discuss, to say, if as a country, we've got so much finance, but the problem is access for people to actually access that finance. What is the problem? Issue of security, it's a big issue. I've realized that I've gone to other countries that you realize that the more you fail, um, it's the more you get closer to your goal. It's the more they're getting accustomed to giving you money. Where else in Africa, as a whole, let alone South Africa, mm. we do not have a room for failure. So that's why, as well, as much as the understanding of, of a credit on its own, it's a big issue. Part of these big uh, financial institution companies, it's uh, part of the mandatory that they need to set aside budget for wellness and educational point of view, from a credit point of view. But do you know annually how much money goes back unspent because, mm-hmm. you know, these companies uh, are not doing enough and, uh, you know, ordinary people are not aware of some of their credit rights and some of the power they have and some of the power they do not have. Sistampla, you are listening to this. This is somebody who is an industry who says if he were given an open mandate with government and indeed get government to respond the way he would want them to, he's highlighted these three issues. You are listening to part of it. Do you want to contribute in any way to agree or to disagree with what he has said? Sistampla, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me? 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, you can hear me. Okay. So I wanted to take it um, a little bit further, actually, and say the issue of access to capital is a trust issue, if we are honest. And so if you talk about a country like Germany that will give proper money to 19-year-olds to start their own businesses, even before they get to college, and yet here you can be a 35-year-old man or female and you have to go through hopes. It's simply a trust issue that institutions here don't actually trust that we, particularly as black folk, can manage ourselves, can manage money, can manage resources. They don't trust the ideas. They don't trust our markets and our spaces as spaces of business. And I think that if we deal with those types of issues, we'll get to the root of the problem much sooner than sort of like sugarcoating it, as it were. Okay, Sis Namsa, um, I mean, you, you're, you're raising a very valid point uh, when you're speaking about the issue of trust. But isn't it interesting that um, some of these companies, they wouldn't trust from a point of credit, but however, they would trust in terms of sourcing or taking advantage of people within the lower LSM to derive as much money as they can from them? Through loans. Through loans. Absolutely. You know, through, yeah. um, through, I mean, um, through royalty points. Um, through, there's a lot of, you know, situation, and realities we all know that money is with the people that are on the lower value chain of our country yeah. and these are the people that have been taken advantage of because these people are do not ask the right questions these people are not aware and right now these people i mean some of us we are called the clever blacks that's why as well the certain boards will never be appointed on because you know what um the opportunity is not there yeah yeah i i agree completely um there is another another level to that as well which is what we have allowed and we've defined as value in South Africa in terms of business behavior is very interesting and fascinating to me. Some of the things that corporations in South Africa get away with, they would not stand a chance of getting away with them um, in places like China, for instance. So um, the fact that the, 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 the whole loan system that um, uh, banks would take advantage of your lower LSMs, as an example, that is something that should be regulated by Reckless a government institutional structures. Exactly, that by government institutional structures that actually realize that um, you know people need to be protected. Um, and I think we spend a lot more time protecting and taking care of the needs of large corporations without thinking about what are the systematic and what, what are the systemic and what are the structural things we need to put in place in order to enable our people, to educate our people, and to give them the space to actually um, start producing in this economy. Um, and before we run out of time, I do want to bring in the issue of femicide and how this connects, that, how this connects please, with business please, behavior. Please. Because um, the reason why we issued the statement um, today, for instance, is that women are globally the majority of consumers, including in our own economy. If we are sitting in an economy where um, the majority of consumers are dying, are distraught, um, and are not able to actually actualize their own dreams because of the femicide issue, we are well within our rights to bring business and government activities to a standstill and say, until you deal Absolutely. with this particular issue, Absolutely. we're not moving on in this economy of this country. One of the things we said in that statement is, 
you sort out the safety issue for women in this country, we will produce what we need to produce in order to make this economy productive. So if you have a combination of technology companies sitting in a room at at the World Economic Forum, why is it that they can't come up with measures that can make sure that they deploy the same technology to actually make sure that public spaces are safe, to make sure that there are early response systems, emergency response systems that are available to every South African, particularly the most vulnerable. And why has our president not thought about that as an ask to ask for at worth? And so for us, it is how do you connect the business behavior and value creation and what they give back to our society in order for us to continue being a healthy economy that can produce and that can continue to develop? You know, as you are speaking, Zaznamla, one thing which cannot be gainsaid in just about the majority of African countries is that when you talk about grassroots economies, when you talk about the informal sector, the face of the proprietors are women. You, you go to a taxi rank. You go to even the agricultural space. You go into the manufacturing spaces. Women dominate that space. And if they are not given these tools that are necessary for them to scale, as you are correctly pointing out, they become vulnerable to even the most insignificant and menial of criminal activity, which then becomes a systemic stumbling block to scaling, to innovation, to roping in institutional partnerships and the like so that they can participate meaningfully, especially in a consumer-driven economy such as ours in terms of participating in the distribution and the value chains, even lower end, but just so that they can get the kinds of traction that is necessary. The question that I have to ask then, if this is an IP which Usongezo, who is not even in economics, can see with the naked eye, and is obvious because of his engagements with himself and with his mothers and his sisters and his daughters and his nieces on a day-to-day basis because this is what the face of commerce looks like in the majority of my expenditure. Why then at a systemic level is this infrastructure, these protections, these sponsorships not there because this is the reality of Africa? largely dependent on the informal sector and this is where the problems are or these are where the problems are such that our socioeconomic outlook, these numbers that I'm lamenting from the business report of the World Bank are as low as they are. Why can't we make that necessary investment? Because the IP is known. There's nothing new that's going to be sold or told this time next year or this time 10 years from now. Maybe you have a less political answer. My answer is going to be very political. (laughs) I want that political political answer answer, if that is the answer. Listen, the political answer for me is that we we don't have freedom in the reality of of the word. And I'm not talking about victim mentality here. Mm. I'm Mm. saying we live in a system where we have been co-opted to believe that what destroys us is what builds us. And so the kinds of things we pay attention to are things that do nothing for us. The same conversations we're having now about how to make sure our economies are productive are the same conversations that the African Union was having 30 years ago and the same conversations they were having 50 years ago. And so, as you are saying, the knowledge has always always been there. But the people that we choose to be accountable to, every time our president, and I have nothing personal against our president, but every time he stands up and he says he wants to pander to foreign direct investors, I want to pull my hair out. 
because I'm asking the question, who are you answering to? Because foreign direct investors don't build an economy. We know this um, from, you know, from time immemorial, as it were. And so my sense is that we've given power away that we should not have given both intellectual power of thinking about what, what works for Africa, what are we willing to do in order to make sure that what works for Africa is implemented. And we've given political power as citizens to people who've given their intellectual political power to other people. And so we need to kind of redress all of that so that we're thinking carefully about what works for us, how do we own our economies, how do we turn our economic systems around in order that we are the owners of productive assets and we are the ones that are innovating and creating um, wealth for our families as it were. Mm. Adding to that, um, Namtla, I think Song is. I've I've got the right to say that as the men um, in the room as well. That I think personally, we fear giving women the power that they need or that they deserve. And we are so ready. Yes, you know, because even sometimes even women don't believe in another woman. For me, I was shocked. Why even from um, in ANC point of view, where um, the women's league saying they're not ready for a female president. And for me, it's an error that we're living in a country where even women are not even having 1% of, you know, sitting in JSE listed companies, let alone black women. We're living in a country where, simple thing, the property industry is about 7 uh, $7 trillion. We do not even own 1% of the industry. I could actually mention them, you know, that there's no ownership from um, a black ownership point of view, even worse, women. So right now, unfortunately, up until we decide to be the one that empowers this woman and to say, you know what, a girl child, uh, you need a boy child to actually, if we need each other for us to grow, we need each other for us to actually empower, you know, the girl child to actually be in a place of power. But we are intimidated by them taking the seat. That's why we slowly kill them or take away the seats. So Snamtla, I'm going to give that to you to respond to and to contribute further on. Um, I could not agree more. I think, um, I, I mean, I think in some ways, and I hate to say this on radio, but I think in some ways we we tend to be our own worst enemies because we we fail to recognize the assets that we have amongst us. And so, for instance, some of the women that I interact with, I just left a meeting now of female executives who are doing amazing things in the in industry. But one of them was making an example. She owns a tech company of the fact that every single day she has to worry about whether her cash flow situation is going to be okay in the long term. And yet the, the, the kind of quality of product she has is, um, is undeniable. She doesn't have access to equity. Um, she doesn't have access to the support she needs. But, um, but a lot of the times what we think is that we should rely on outside sources and so to banks and so on in order to firm our position up. I have been starting to study platform economies where people come together, and I'm not talking about cooperatives. I'm talking about people who come together and bring their money together, say 10 individuals who will say, we are going to be supporting each other. So whatever the business venture you want to do, I'm going to support you. And over a period of time, you take 10 supporting each other. And I think until we start being selfish like that, 
so that we operate outside the mainstream economy, but we create alternative systems that work for us. That way, this support you are talking about in the around, how do we support our women to participate? What stops 10 men who are already um, successful coming together, putting a fund together and saying, we're going to invite women who want to start small businesses to actually come and get their money from us and we'll make sure that we support them over the next five, ten years, as it were. So we need to stop looking at banks who are looking and um, taking care of their interests and their shareholders. And we need to start to say, what are the alternative systems that we can put in place to create alternative economic activity for ourselves and start investing in ourselves first before we think about investing in anyone else? You know, I'm, I'm quite sympathetic or really touched by the gender-based violence arguments and discussions that invariably in the time of Uyinene Mkhwetjana and Leandri Yechels and many countless others in the context of what we're talking about now. But when you talk about gender-based violence, I mean, I do want to give some statistics to really augment the points that the two of you, Dewuch, as well as Yusuf Namkla, have already mentioned. 1.2 billion in Canada, 5.8 billion, this is USD, in the United States, 11.4 in Australia and 32.9 in England and Wales. These are the costs associated to the respective economies in attending to gender-based violence. Now, when you talk about gender-based violence, you're talking about the assault, be it verbal or physical, on right. women in a given instance. If I may carry on with those statistics, we're talking about between 2 and 3% of GDP spent spent on following on GBV, gender-based violence, in South Africa specifically is reported that sexual harassment and related harassment in the workplace can be between 50 to 70% of women, 70% of women in the workplace. Now, all the time and resources spent on what essentially is an eye-off-the-ball incident because it is not necessary in the workplace or in society. This is how much we have to catch up on before we can talk about a real investment and in real empowerment and in real transformation, particularly as it pertains to women in the formal sector, in the informal sector. Levels of frustration uh, make it very hard not to be emotional, even though we are having a, a fairly serious um, conversation. So as you are naming these figures um, from these Western countries, Bear in mind that their level of death rates in interpersonal violence is about 2.6 per every 100,000. In South Africa, that figure is 15.2 per every 100,000. And so if you compare the extent to which we have so much more of that violence that leads to death, and yet how, how... um, um, how low our figures are in terms of how much we spend. This afternoon, I went to meet with the Ministry of Women because we're trying to coordinate something for WEF. And one of the first things they said was, we have no money. There's nothing in the budget. We don't have a budget. And I think that we need to start asking really serious questions about how seriously do we take women not just in relation to gender-based violence, but because mm. this links to everything. It links to our 21-year-olds who have to worry about whether they are safe when they go to the library at university. How can they be expected to excel in that space? 
uh, when we talk about entrepreneurs who are females who can't stay um, at work late because they are worried that they are not going to be safe. How creative, how engaged can they be? To what extent does this depression affect their excellence in terms of producing and thinking creatively? We've got to see all these dots. We have to see what the connections are with um, a, a health outcomes as an example and then answer the question as a society as south africans how seriously do we take more than half of our population Mm, because mm, these mm. figures don't show that we're investing in this space and if we choose not to see how gender-based violence is linked to education outcomes health outcomes um productivity outcomes and so on we're making the choice to be blind and if we're making the choice to be blind, we don't want to get anywhere as a people because we can't get anywhere if we are not sorting this issue out. Thank you very much. I couldn't say anything else to take away from the crispness by which you presented that very critical point. We appreciate you. Thank time. you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Indeed. Debucho, thank you so much. And thank you for indulging us much longer than you had anticipated to. No, no, no. Definitely. It's a pleasure. It's always an honor to serve. And Sis Namkla, I'll invite you uh, for that fund where we're going to stand as men to say we'll find you as a woman. You see, <laughs> as you see, I am going to follow up on this. I don't play like that. No, definitely. So, we're having one uh, entrepreneurship week this year. We'll definitely invite you for the gala dinner. Um, same goes for song as well. We're going to be honoring some of the legends that have opened up a pathway for us in this entrepreneurship yeah. space. Fantastic. My job here is done. Thank you so much, well, Thank you so much, Dewulfa. We appreciate yeah. that. And more importantly, or rather most importantly, thank you, South Africans, for tuning in. Do stay tuned, please, for Psychotic Minds, our daily soapy.